when people refer to AI applications that are in the world uh, right now, they usually talk about what we call narrow AI or weak AI. And the intent of those is largely to solve point problems, uh, having a computer master a specific skill. The other side of it is uh, general AI, which we are far from. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. AI and machine learning are all the buzz. I wrote a recent post for Forbes called A Skeptic's Guide to AI. The idea was how is a CIO, CTO supposed to cut through the hype and get a good understanding of what is AI or artificial intelligence and what is machine learning? I had the privilege of working with two people to help me craft that article and make sense of it because I myself am new to AI. And I'm very excited to say that our guests today were those two gentlemen that helped me with the article. They're from a company called Sevu that was recently acquired by Intervision and now a part of the Intervision family. So join me in welcoming Anant Gopalakrishnan and Harsha Gopianandan to our show. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Jeff, for having us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate you guys being on the show today and especially appreciate helping teach me some of the differences and some of the ways to cut through the hype around this very exciting yet very complex topic. And I know today's conversation will be valuable to our listeners as we go through this. So why don't we start with uh, Harsha, if you don't mind, just explaining in general, what's the difference between artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Yes. So as you mentioned, there's a lot of buzz and uh, you know hype between these terminologies. People, for all, most practical purposes, they start um, using those terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Today, if you look at a lot of practical applications of what we call AI is machine learning. And uh, But as you talk about in the article, Jeff, you know, where it... The distinction comes with AI is, you know, are we making a more sophisticated implementation or things? Is the system able to learn and adapt itself over time? And that's where some of the definition towards AI comes in. I do want to point out there is one other distinction people make, although it's not uh, the point of our article, is AI is being covered as uh, there is a section of machine learning a subset of machine learning called deep learning, uh, which is more complex implementation of machine learning. And some people define AI as deep learning. But again, I'm just pointing out different uh, interpretations of AI within the industry. So yeah, if I can uh, yeah, go ahead and just to add to that, you know, in general, when people refer to AI, um, the AI applications that are in, in the world out uh, right now, they usually talk about what we call narrow AI or weak AI, yeah. and the intent of those is largely to solve point problems, a specific, uh, you know, basically having a computer master a specific skill, if you will. The other side of it is uh, general AI, which we are far from, but there's a lot of research going on. 
Yeah, general AI is defined as uh, you know the, this the holy grail of uh, achieving human level intelligence. <laughs> right, right. And today, when someone talks about AI in their application, what they're really talking about typically is the narrow AI or or even just machine learning algorithms. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, when you speak in terms of AI, right? It could it could be machine learning. It could be rule-based methods. It could be things like natural language processing. Essentially, you can think of it as a toolkit of solutions that allow you to achieve a certain level of artificial intelligence. But like you said, most applications today um, use machine learning to solve problems. So one of the things that, that has confused me as a layperson in this field is when someone talks about, well, we put AI into our software and it runs right on your mobile phone. And to me, I still have the notion that to do AI, to really train these models requires a heck of a lot more horsepower than is available on your mobile device. So what are they really talking about? Are they really talking about AI and machine learning or are they talking about a deployment of a model? It's So there's two distinct faces uh, when you consider training a model using machine learning. There's the training part, which I just talked about. Essentially, this is the part where um, you have a set of data from the past and uh, you train algorithms to identify underlying patterns that best describe the data and its outcomes. And then once a model is trained, now you put it into production to use it for specific prediction purposes, right? And this phase is called the inference phase. The training phase, like you mentioned, is uh, usually quite expensive. You know, there's a lot of uh, iterations of training that you do and uh, it takes a long time. Um, in some cases, the inference is a lot cheaper. And as a result, it's uh, easy for, for it to fit within a form factor of a mobile phone and, and whatnot. Is the model getting, quote unquote, better during this phase? So the model, uh, very good question, by the way. The way the model gets better is when the user interacts you know, through their phone or computer with the AI system, if it's implemented properly, then all the new data gets back to the training set. And over time, all that new data and new inferences uh, help the model uh, learn and okay. adapt. And that's how it gets so better. So it's that feedback loop that takes it back to the more robust compute power to continue to train the model. Exactly. Okay. So when we posted this uh, article online, it generated a lot of conversation around the data itself. And the, the concept of is more data better or is better data better for training your model? What makes sense from your perspective? Yeah. Hasha, you want to take it? Sure. Yeah. You know, the quality of the data and the quantity. And uh, obviously, as data practitioners, we love more data. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is a misperception that uh, there needs to be a lot more data for, for developing good models, which uh, which is not exactly true. There are situations where, like you point out, Jeff, where if you have a high-quality data set, but that maybe is not uh, really big, that would still work. And... Uh, so, so my short answer is, uh, uh, you know, more data is better, but quality data that is uh, 
clean and this part of part of what uh, data science practitioners do is take data you know even in a, even it's a raw form make all the transition transformations cleaning right. necessary right. to make it into good quality data i don't know if that answered your question yeah, so so it's more good data right yeah. you're looking for both as you're training these models like Asha said, uh, you know, we want it all uh, <laughs> if, we, if we can have it. Yeah. But again, it's a, it's application based, right? In some cases, right, you know, you you can, you know, with high quality data, train with uh, less uh, less amount of data. In some cases, uh, more on the visual processing side and whatnot, you you actually need a larger data set. So it really is case by case basis. But there are also um, solutions out there where you know when you have say a limited set of data, you know, we can use uh, methods like semi, semi-supervised learning that is able to kind of start with data that's tagged, for example, and then kind of build on it to make better models and so on. So there's, uh, there's uh, many ways to, you know, cut this. So what has really happened, it seems like in the last couple of years is this explosion around AI and machine learning. And, and I think what's really happened here is it's been uh, taken out of the the science, if you will, the investigation and the development. Uh, and now there's more commercial uses for it. And so as Sevu, you guys were involved in a lot of different projects regarding the implementation of machine learning AI. Without giving away any client names or anything like that, could you guys give us a couple of examples of where you've seen this commercialized for business use? Yeah. We worked with, uh, with an educational organization as an example of a use case, uh, implement a machine learning AI system that learns and adapts over time. And their specific use case was uh, we wanted to identify spam or fraudulent applications that were coming into their system. And uh, as we were talking earlier, uh, the, uh, the implementation we did, uh, we made sure that you know the model learned and adapted with every new interaction we had with new data over time and keeps keeps getting better. And Anand, do you want to do another example? Yeah, there's uh, to answer, uh, Jeff, to answer your question more broadly, there's um, any domain that we've, uh, we've engaged in with clients, even when it's exploratory, we've been able to identify uh, several solutions where machine learning can be applied. And you probably see that in the industry today too. If you know, if you go across different uh, you know sectors and domains and verticals, um, there's applications of machine learning. I mean, the, the broader uh, take that I have is you know where you have data, uh, there's opportunities for machine learning. Now, having said that, you know we've applied like uh, Harsha mentioned uh, in an educational uh, setting, we've done machine learning work uh, to better identify customers. Um, there was a company um, that. You know, had a lot of customers that come and visit their uh, portal, but uh, they had no idea on how to market them because this uh, this company had many different market segments that they're dealing with. What made it even more challenging was the underlying product that they were selling was generic enough that uh, it, you know it was hard for them to detect when somebody went and looked at something on their web page. You know, which uh, vertical they actually belong to. Um, so we built some solutions here, and in this case, again. We truly treat machine learning as a toolkit because in the end, the solution that we provided them was prescriptive that had a combination of machine learning, optimization algorithms, and sort of some sort of prescriptive methods and so on uh, when we actually implement, implemented the solution for them. Um, we've done a lot of work in natural language processing, uh, being able to use unstructured data like text and being able to 
create actionable insights from them. That's excellent. It really begins to change the way a business operates or, or it has that potential, right? So have you gotten involved in that aspect of this? Is How does having AI or machine learning help you with decisions and therefore how does it change the way you manage your business? Yes, and uh, this is... Uh... This is the most important aspect where, uh, where all these you know, sophisticated technologies and buzzwords really come, right? Where the rubber meets the road. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> what we say in, our, in Sevu, we used to say is um, our goal is to take big data and then turn it into actionable insights. Not just insights, but it has to be actionable by the businesses to be meaningful for them you know, uh, with the data providing another toolkit, another important data point for business leaders to be able to make make these decisions. And that is very critical. Uh, everything we do, we have a focus on solving real-world problems. That's what we, uh, we like to say internally, because you want to graduate from this phase of, you know, science and research into practical right. applications. So... A lot of times you'll talk to leaders of organizations, leaders of companies, and they'll talk about, well, I, I run my business by my gut instinct. And then there's others that'll say, well, we're a data-driven organization. Have you guys done any research or any study into the accuracy of leaders that manage by gut instinct versus those that manage by data-driven decisions? Yeah, we, we haven't per se done that research, but I think there has been enough research done. Uh, I, I can't... Just was it a question that occurred to me as we were talking? No, that, that has been, I think research has been done that focuses on, uh, that has, ties exactly to the topic you're talking. And typically, data-driven decisions... Uh, maybe I'm biased here, but uh, I've been proven to be uh, more reliable and more accurate than, you know, gut-based decisions. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, let me let me circle back to a, a little bit where we started, which is this whole concept of AI washing. I, I remember back several years ago when the environmental cause took hold and we got into that whole concept of greenwashing. Everything was green, even though it was the exact same product repackaged. And then to bring it into technology terms, the same thing happened in cloud. All of a sudden, we've got uh, applications that are being touted as cloud or software as a service, when all they were were the same applications repackaged. It feels like sometimes we have that same problem now with AI and machine learning. So for our listeners out there, what are some questions that they can ask or or things to look at that will help them identify, is this real or is it just a repackaging of the same stuff? Yes, Jeff. So just to step back a little bit, the reason this is happening is because of the explosion of the need for machine learning AI talent and uh, I think there is some study by McKinsey or Gartner, I forget which, says that in the next few years, there's going to be maybe up to 250,000 data scientists shot just in the U.S. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what this has done is, as you point in the article, um, you know, there are developers that take open source machine learning models that's already been developed and, uh, you know, just implement them. Uh, this, is kind of, this is one of the problems I think uh, you are referring to here. 
some things to do, some things to keep in mind uh, would be one, internally at least uh, what we have always talked about is this concept called foundations of data science. And uh, while we believe, you know, the tools, the algorithms are important, very important, the equally important part in data science is the data. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. To be a good data practitioner, you need a, a lot of experience working with data, statistics, and ability to understand the data. Uh, that would be one of the things maybe that you can look at, you know, do they, uh, do they have data scientists uh, mm-hmm. on staff or, or, the, or the companies uh, working with people who understand data, who work on data science, things, things of that nature would be, would be what, I, what I think. And just to add to that, right, um, a few other things that you want to look for, you know, when a company, um, you know, suggests that they have a product that has AI included is, uh, do they have the domain expertise to be able to solve that problem? A lot of times, you know, even when we talk to uh, organizations, we look for domain expertise as a source of how to build a solution for them. So, you know, existence of domain expertise, the presence of data and, and good data, you know, do they have access to that for us, for them to be able to produce a, a solution that's uh, valuable? Uh, how scalable and secure their infrastructure is if they have a sort of a ML as a, a service sort of a product? And then, you know, how do they adapt over time? We can come back to the, the whole idea of like real world feedback, right? You know, is there is there some sort of feedback that happens? Does a product improve over time? And these are kind of the key vectors uh, where, you know, if I were a CIO, um, I would start poking at these areas to really get a sense for whether they have an informed strategy around AI. So it was, do they have data scientists on staff and how many? Do they have the domain expertise to solve the particular problem that they're solving? Uh, Scalability and security, as well as that feedback loop. Those were those were the four points that I heard the two of you mentioned. Does that sum it up uh, as a way to start? Yes, and uh, one thing I'd, uh, I'd add is uh, when we say data science, right? It's it's also you know everybody there are a lot of clients about being data scientists. One thing to to think about is again, this might be a little bit more technical in nature to understand, but ask questions around. Uh, you know, their approaches, how they approach data in a, going back to this concept I earlier mentioned about foundations of data science. That would mm-hmm. be a, that would be another one I could think of. Okay. And if we're kind of interrogating, if you will, or looking into their approach towards data, what things should we be listening for that they're taking the right approach? First thing I would say is, uh, do they have a good process in place to be able to uh, handle or, or solve a machine learning problem. Um, you know, the, the, the origins of machine learning are from basically, you know, uh, experimentation and, and basically from academia, right? But, you know, people have effectively converted that to, you know, real world solutions. One thing that is important is to see if uh, the organizations have good guardrails for how they define problems, how they, you know, kind of explore and analyze the problems and then build models and so on. It's easy to start a, start going into, into the weeds, you know, when you start looking at data, right? Yeah. How structured is their approach to be able to kind of handle that process uh, is an important aspect of it. Yeah. So, so to sum it up, you know, deep data expertise, 
in terms of how a data science is applied combined with a systemic process that's geared towards solving real world problems. Okay. So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned deep learning. Can you define that for our listeners? What does that mean when you've used, is that a technique that you use to train the models? What exactly is deep learning? Well, there's this, um, there's this concept of uh, machine learning, which is called uh, neural networks. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of an architecture where you have layers of neurons, if you will, and each neuron is basically doing a specific sort of a function. And it's this arrangement of neurons and and their interconnection that allows you to build uh, and learn a specific function. Now, um, it's uh, what we've learned is that by stacking many, many such layers, you know, behind one another, it's possible to learn really complex uh, patterns within the data. So when somebody refers to deep learning, what they're really saying is that it's a large neural network with many, many, you know, layers of neurons in between. At the basic level, that's what it is. The the technical definition, I think, is uh, if you have uh, more than one of these hidden layers in in a neural network model, that qualifies as, uh, as deep learning. And as a practical example, you know, like facial recognition and those are some of the things of practical applications of uh, of deep learning. Okay. Guys, this has been a great conversation. And the way I would love to leave it uh, today for our listeners is to ask each one of you, what's one thing different that our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? whether that's uh, a bit of research, whether that's uh, uh, looking in a new area, whatever it may be, what's your recommendation for an action for our listeners to take? So Anant, let's start with you. What is your recommendation to our listeners? So this is one thing I would say is, um, as I mentioned, where there is data, there is scope for machine learning to help solve a problem. And even when we um, talk to different clients, what we notice is uh, the value of domain expertise uh, is extremely critical here. So, you know, for people that are listening to the podcast, what I would say is, you know, having a baseline understanding of machine learning puts you in a position to start asking the questions that machine learning can help solve. A lot of good solutions that are coming out today are coming from people who have you know, good deep understanding of uh, their area of expertise and realize that, listen, I have the data to be able to solve this specific problem related to my domain. So that's what I would encourage them to start with. And then, you know, basically work with practitioners who are kind of good at building end-to-end solutions uh, based on some of the criteria that we already talked about. Okay, excellent. Harsha, how about you? Yeah, I'll just add to what Anand said. Uh, There is some hesitancy to, to invest in, machine learning AI solutions because uh, there's a perception that there's a lot of investment needed. And uh, one thing I would suggest is uh, there is ways to take baby steps, you know, take incremental, you know, start with small proof of concept, small wins, and uh, try to build from that into a more complex solution rather than trying to start at uh, very building a very complex high investment solution which because that's not required that would be my suggestion is uh, build from small wins and keep extending that solution 
and grow it from there. That yeah. that's great advice. Anant and Harsha, thank you so much for being on the program today. I think our listeners are going to take away uh, at least some base knowledge of this mystery of AI and machine learning and deep learning. So thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you being on the program. Thank you, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Jeff. For our listeners, if you want to learn more or you have any questions, visit intervision.com. The show notes will have links and contact information for all of us involved, and we would really love to hear from you. Join the conversation and ask your questions. We would love that feedback. This is Jeff Tun for Anut Gopalakrishnan and Harsha Gopianandan. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.